Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I am your host, Erin Palmer, and today I am once again joined by the lovely Julie. Welcome back, Julie. Yes, yes, I am back once again. I know how much you all love me. (laughs) We are always, always ready for some Julie commentary on life, so welcome back. (laughs) I have lots to share. Yay! I'm so excited to hear it. (laughs) All right, so today's topic, Miss Julie, what are we talking about today? What is our source material? We are talking today about Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Yes, Gillian, not Jillian, both Erin and I. Triple, quadruple checked before <laughs> we, we started the show. <laughs> to be sure we pronounce it correctly, Gillian Flynn in 2006, her debut novel, actually. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. And uh, what what a way to start her writing career. Know, right? It's a wild, <laughs> wild ride. And um, for those who don't know, Gillian Flynn is also the author of Gone Girl and, oh no, forgetting of the other couple that she had, but Gone Girl's the big one, so... Dark Places, you're thinking Dark of. Places, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. And the adaptation is also called Sharp Objects, which is directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, which was in 2018, and it's an HBO miniseries starring Amy Adams, Patricia Clarkson, Chris Messina, Eliza Scanlon, and many, many others. So pretty sweet cast. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, what, nine episodes long? Eight episodes long. Eight episodes, excuse me. I was like, mm-hmm. is it nine, ten, or eight? That's like the those are like the numbers <laughs> that, that they are roughly now these are. Days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It always used to uh, be a dozen and now it's less. I know. But to be fair, they are over an hour long. Mm-hmm. And superb, so, you show them. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's intense, intense show, intense book. Um, which actually I wanted to give a quick shout out about this particular episode. Um Full disclaimer, um, there are a lot of very, very sensitive and very disturbing conversations that will probably come up around this story. Um, There's going to be discussions of sexual assault, rape, substance abuse, personal like self-harm, mental abuse. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's there's Mm -hmm. a lot of very, very heavy topics in this story. Um, So I wanted to just kind of give a quick shout out if these are topics that make you very uncomfortable or are triggering for you, I I do not recommend you listen to this episode. You forgot the two big ones, murder and suicide. And murder and suicide. Thank you, Julie. Yep. Mm -hmm. Really, really heavy topics. Thank you. Um, So yes, please do not listen to this episode if any of those topics are triggering for you. And we will catch up with you next time and then for those who are willing to stick around or are interested to learn more about this story again spoiler alert we're going to be talking about this in depth there's going to be a lot of spoilers so we will not be holding anything back so if you want to join us great and then before we get started julie the age-old question are you pro-source or pro-adaptation You know, I enjoyed both, but I have to say for this particular one, the adaptation stood out to me more. Ooh. Mm -hmm. All right. Give us a little teaser. Why the adaptation? Well, uh, the thing I like about most adaptations is that you get to see things from multiple character point of view as opposed to the um, third person uh, uh, focused of just the one character, in this case, Camille uh, Preaker. 
Whereas in the show, we get Camille, we get uh, to see what her mom and stepdad are up to, we get to see Mm -hmm. what her sister is up to, we get to see what the detective and the police chief are up to, whereas in the book, we just kind of guess and only see the interactions with Camille. So Mm -hmm. we kind of get a fuller picture of the story that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I definitely agree. I I saw the adaptation first, so I think that swayed me a little bit. But I totally agree. You do get a very, very nice rounded view of everybody within that scope of the story, not just Camille, who is obviously the most important part of that story. But you do get a much larger scope. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I totally agree. All right. Well, let's get into it. So source material, could you give us a synopsis, please? A quick synopsis. I shall try. (laughs) So uh, fresh from a brief stay at a psych hospital, reporter Camille Preaker faces a troubling assignment. She must return to her tiny hometown to cover the unsolved murder of a preteen girl and the disappearance of another. For years, Camille has hardly spoken to her neurotic hypochondriac mother or to the half-sister she barely knows, a beautiful 13-year-old with an eerie grip on the town. Now, installed in her old bedroom in her family's Victorian mansion, Camille finds herself identifying with the young victims a bit too strongly. Dogged by her own demons, she must unravel the psychological puzzle of her own past if she wants to get to the story and survive this homecoming. All right. Yes. A lot lot to unpack. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that gives a really, really nice snapshot. Um, It hits a lot of really big pivotal moments in the story without giving too much away. Mm -hmm. So what stood out to you about the book? What did you like? What did you dislike? Let's break it down. Hmm. Breaking down, breaking down, breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as we kind of like touched on when talking about which one we preferred, uh, the book is uh, only through Camille Preaker's point of view. Mm-hmm. So we get her um, her flavored opinion of the town and all the people she comes across. And uh, that is a, doesn't sound great <laughs> when yeah. Gap in Missouri. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of like a rundown, your typical view of like a podunk redneck town and mm-hmm. yet has a Victorian mansion within it and as well as McMansions, it mentions. Um, mm-hmm. So like a clear class divide is noticed right away. And Camille, either on purpose or with uh, the author's kind of own interpretation flooding through, just does not seem to like this kind of town (laughs) yeah right away there is no like other side kind of storytelling involved here of like oh you know it seems this way but actually and it's like no Mm -hmm. it's like it seems bad and then it gets worse i know i know there's not really much redeeming qualities about this hometown and the only kind of redeeming qualities that i could find are either people who got away from the town and had to come back which is really just camille or Mm -hmm people who are not from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the the one detective. So <laughs> everybody else is kind of a trash can on fire. <laughs> and uh, the the brother of one of the victims, he's also considered oh. an out of towner because he only yeah. lived there for I think 2 or 3 years the family lived there before she died. Yeah, John, it's John Keane, right? Mhm. Yeah, again, all people who are not native to this city except for Camille, but she deliberately removed herself from that environment for very obvious reasons. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trash can on fire that that whole town. Mhm. More like a dumpster. Got to get More like, like a dumpster on fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot in there. <laughs> 
There is. I mean, and let's let's unpack that. So I think the the biggest character that stood out for me besides, you know, kind of everything about Camille's character being mm-hmm. just completely traumatized. Um Yeah, we can save is, her for last. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll save her. We'll break that down. Um yes. is her, her mother. Mhm. Which what are your <laughs> this is a loaded question what are your thoughts <laughs> on that character <laughs> like she is the nightmare mother essentially oh my God, yeah and because i know that both of our mothers were probably listening to this episode we are not talking about you <laughs> no, no our mothers Any- are lovely ladies <laughs> yes anything we, we have to say you. about moms or mothers in this book about horrible mothers is not about you um, this is not a self-reflection <laughs> this is a f- fictitious mother that we are so grateful we do not have <laughs> yes no so um adora Krellen is uh camille's mother she changed her name when she got married but did not change camille's um and she is kind of like the synopsis hinted neurotic and hypochondriac but other uh, otherwise as it turns out has munchausen by proxy and ended up killing one of her daughters her middle daughter named marion and because camille never sum- uh, submitted herself or allowed her mom to essentially poison her growing up her mother said that uh, she essentially hates camille for it that she never could essentially connect to her as a mother because she wouldn't let her quote unquote care for her the way she wanted to care for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though Camille later says that, you know, you never had to like invent caring for for me. I needed you as a woman needs a mother, not Mm -hmm. in a manufactured setting that you create. And she also is poisoning uh, the little sister, Emma now, and she's constantly isn't shown in the book until the end as being sick but everyone mentions that she Mm -hmm. gets sick quite a bit in and out of the hospital has you know Mm -hmm. a laundry list of ailments which is very similar to the middle child um, marion who was Mm -hmm. in and out of the hospital with very similar kind of diagnoses but yeah it's oh god yeah that good old uh mbp it's uh rough that whole character development is so rough to read and it's it was developed beautifully i mean if you Mm -hmm. can even call it beautifully it was ingenious that gillian flynn wrote the character the way she did it's one of the craziest like baddies in a book that i've read in a while where it's like this is not a you know super villain that we're talking about this is something that could easily happen anywhere and you know adora's character is you know, on the outside, she's this picturesque, perfect mother, high society. Everybody adores her in town. She's got the perfect life, the perfect house. She's, you know, got millions of dollars because her family basically helped build the town from scratch with their pig farming industry. I mean, it's she's got all of that going for her. And then on the on the flip side, she's like insanely mentally unstable <laughs> well they kind of touch on why a little bit when they mentioned that camille never knew her grandmother and how mm-hmm. she used to treat adora um her grandmother's name is joya and it was said that she used to like you know uh pinch adora awake in the middle of the night uh saying that she wanted to make sure she didn't die in her sleep uh mm-hmm. whether or not that excuse is real can't hard to say joy is not really a character in the book and then yeah. adora herself tells the story of how her mother once drove her out into the middle of the woods and they walk to the woods and then once they got made good and lost the mom turns to Ad- uh, adora and says 
don't follow me, stay here, and then just leaves. And Adora had to find her own way back home. And then when mm-hmm. she finally got home, her mom just said, oh, look, you're here. You, you finally got it. back. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. Alan mentions that uh, Adora said the only time Joya smiled was when Camille, as an infant, refused to nurse from Adora. Mm-hmm. Well, and then Adora even says, like, you are always such a not stubborn and like willful and spiteful like all these words that she uses to Camille's face and Mm -hmm. she flat out says it's like I think that's why I never I never loved you because you just made me feel like such a child and she was like what 16 when she had her so she really was was a child child. and Camille says that too it's like you you were a child though yeah Uh, yeah and yeah everything I noticed uh Everything that is just slightly imperfect or slightly gone wrong, always Camille's fault. Uh, oh, yeah. Adora cuts her hand on a rose bush. It's, it's Camille's fault. Yeah. Oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Emma is acting yeah. off, even though it's, it seems like Emma always acts off. Oh, it's Camille's mm-hmm. fault. She's a bad influence on her. Yeah. And- yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, the hanging on the cross martyrdom that is Adora is, it's kind of, takes your breath away <laughs> like mm-hmm. of how horrible of a human being she is <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and from an outsider perspective reading this book you can kind of see who and how adora is and you just have to wonder like camille why do you go back why didn't you just like hang out in a hotel instead of going back home yeah. you didn't have to but uh it, it kind of hints a little bit at you know a person's inability to tear away from you know that childhood relationship with a parent even if it's a toxic parent uh there's a quote that said that um when uh, dora asked camille to have a drink with her you know alone on the patio uh she was like oh do i really want to do that and then the quote is but underneath that a thought time alone with her a leftover rattle from childhood right exactly Mm -hmm. like she just wants her mother's love and that's literally all she's wanted her entire life yeah and it, it's so tragic. Like it's such a dis like dysfunctional doesn't even cover how <laughs> how this relationship is. Like mm-hmm. we'll just call it dysfunctional, even though it's even more than that. It's oh, like yeah. dysfunctional, toxic, you name it. It's it's just, just a hot off mess. the rails. Yes, <laughs> it is off the rails completely. Mm-hmm. And it's just like at the end of the day, it's Camille just wants the love of her mother, and her mother flat out says, "I've never loved you." And it's like, what do you do with that? Like of how do you process that realization? And also she tells her this when she's an adult. So, I mean, I think that Camille kind of like my perspective on it was that she already kind of knew that. But to mm-hmm. have it actually like verbalized by your mother yeah. to kind of like cement that fear is just mind boggling. Like, yeah. And it's it's one thing to, yeah, it's one thing to like think you know what your parents think or yeah. you know, suspect you might not be the favored child or even yeah. like that much but it's another thing to have it outright said Spelled to your face yeah. i never loved you and i thought yeah. of the reasons why i never loved you yeah and she mm-hmm. acts like so nonchalant about it too she's like oh yeah you know i never loved you you were kind of like the worst baby ever and no matter what i did it was never enough and you know that's you're just spiteful mm-hmm. it's all your fault Yep. And even Emma mentions that she suspects that Adora doesn't really love her either. 
that mm-hmm. it's hard to compete with a dead child and that I know. Uh, and Adora even says that uh, Marion the de- the dead middle sister will be my baby forever because she died when she was 10. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, the whole Munchausen by proxy is, you know, she didn't want her to grow up. And so that is the result. Like I think doesn't she make a comment in the book that when little girls grow up they leave their mothers or something to that effect so something to that effect but uh it's hard to say munchausen's by proxy isn't necessarily like you know always deadly um no. sometimes it's yeah. more of a byproduct because they what they want is the attention yeah um, they would oh, and look sometimes what a wonderful mother i am look how yeah. i'm so i'm so attentive to my child mm-hmm. and sometimes the you know atten- the high of the attention gets to the point where you have to keep ramping it up up and up and up until mm-hmm. You know, you they die you accidentally kill a child. Yeah, and in yeah. her uh, journal, she mentioned uh, on the day that it happened, Marion is dead. I couldn't stop. Like she, she could not stop herself from yeah pushing it to her death. And I, I wonder if it's partly because oh, I have to like literally kill my child with kindness. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, I wonder if like <laughs> this is just yeah. This I was is like say killing s- with kindness because that's what Camille says at the end. Like these days, uh-huh. I'm leaning towards kindness. Uh huh. Yeah. So that element. But then I I feel like maybe there was also like an undercurrent of if I kill my child when she's still a child, she will never grow up in my eyes, and she will always be my little girl. Mm-hmm. She will never leave me. Yeah, she'll never leave me because every time I think of her, I will always remember her as what a ten-year-old because she will never get older than that. Because Not just a ten-year-old, but a ten-year-old <laughs> who loves her mom. Because what what does a kid yeah. know any better? Yeah, yeah. And Camille had the same thing when she was, you know, she was still a child when Marion died, so she was not aware that all of this was, you know inflicted by her mother intentionally she just thought her sister was truly just sick and then even her um stepfather alan was like you know our we we just uh you know our family we're just not a very resilient family we just always get sick and he like they just kind of accepted oh yeah we get sick all the time and then marion just got really really sick and couldn't push through Mm -hmm. and it's just the mind like I'm just going to say the mind fuckery of <laughs> of that whole relationship, that whole dynamic. I just I it still shakes me like I can't I can't wrap my head around that. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, yeah. we can't wrap our head around it because as we mentioned, we both have wonderful moms who never I love you, did mom. this to us. <laughs> <laughs> I love and appreciate everything that you've done for me. <laughs> thank you for not mentally and physically and emotionally yeah, abusing us you. in our life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, even if like the Munchausen's by proxy aside, the mental abuse of this woman, I mean – Mm-hmm. it's well, just just nuts just outright saying you never loved your child that yes. even if it's true you are never ever allowed to say that just like you can never say you have a favorite you can never say you don't like your child mm-hmm. yeah and then that actually so again we're going back to like the the mental abuse that made me think of the scene where adora Emma, and camille go out to get um something nice to wear they go to like Mm. a dress shop so we're this we'll have to kind of jump into camille's character so for those who have not read or seen the show um camille has obviously suffered a lot of trauma in her life which has basically her outlet was self-harm and which was self-mutilation in particular um where she was writing words 
in her skin with sharp objects, which is where the, <laughs> the title name comes of the from. Show. Yeah, and the book. Yeah. So her body is just literally head to toe covered in scars, except mm-hmm. for a small little circle in the middle of her back that she cannot reach. And that's actually what that this is kind of the segue of what may, what I was thinking of for the, the, the mental abuse. Uh, so in that shop scene, when she's tr- attempting to try on dresses and all of them are like sleeveless spaghetti mm-hmm. straps, like tank top cleavage, tops. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. cleavage, like where you can completely see her skin and she's extremely self-conscious about it for obvious reasons. It's... Like that whole scene where her mother is fully aware of what her body looks like at this point and still insisted on going to a shop and getting her into a dress that obviously would show a lot of skin and then forcing her to come out and just like show her mom and Emma and the shopkeeper what she looks like. I mean, that whole scene is just like awful. (laughs) It's like the only word I can think of. All affronted as if it's Camille's fault that she came out yes! looking that way. Yes. <laughs> you know, not that she forced the situation to happen. But, and that Camille has embarrassed her by uh, harming by herself existing. to such an extent <laughs> yeah, that she yeah. would dare to come out of that room looking like that and shame Adora. I, <laughs> I know. That's all I she can think of. Not look at my child. Look at what she's done to herself. It's no, look at my child and what that says about me. I know. Yeah. I know. It's god awful because the the whole setup, she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew where that was going to go. And also Emma had never seen her, so she didn't know what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time that Emma is seeing Camille like the full extent of her trauma, which is literally visible on her body. And I doesn't she comment in the book that She's like, I'm so I'm, I'm glad that Emma is able to see this or something like that, where she's like, I'm glad she saw it like so vindictive and so manipulative. And oh, Julie, mm-hmm. no, it's truly, uh, truly vicious on the mom's part and very Absolutely. intentional, despite how she reacted of like, you know, embarrassed and you know outraged that uh, Camille would dare reveal her scars like that, even if it was just too you know, her mom and a shopkeeper and her sister. But uh, it also reminded me of another instance um, where her mom and where she or Camille and her mom were talking. And then Camille, uh, the quote is my mother lunged, then grabbed me by both arms. And then she reached behind me and with one fingernail circled oh, yeah. a spot on my back that had no scars. The only place you have left, she whispered at me. Her breath was cloying and musky like air coming from a spring. Well, yes, someday I'll carve my name there. Yeah, I was going to Who says that to their child? I know. And this isn't the same sequence where she tells her she doesn't love her, right? This is all the same scene. And it's like, this woman is batshit. Like, Mm -hmm. it's insane. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that scene up because that was literally going to be my next point because of that perfect circle in in her back that she can't reach. And it's like, that is so messed up. Mm -hmm. I don't even know where to begin with something like that. Who does that to their child? Like, And I like how the excuse is, oh, well, my mom was mean to me. And it's like, okay. (laughs) like i understand that you had your own traumas but don't take it out on your kids like Mm, you gotta stop it somewhere yeah like what a horrible cycle like oh my god julie yeah that character is we i mean we could take the entire episode just to talk about her (laughs) Mm -hmm. well there's another like 
real interesting female character we can talk about, and that's Amma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've talked we've about kind another of, form of crazy. Let's yeah, we bit. kind of tiptoed around Amma, the little sister, um, who's only like 13 in the book. I know. Um, and it, Which makes and, it scarier. Yeah. And <laughs> to be <it's>, honest. <laughs> yeah. When you think of like a 13 year old girl, you think of like, you know, a middle schooler who's like, you know, just figuring out her way, maybe like, you know, touching on, you know, that teenager sass a little bit, but Mm -hmm. ultimately harmless. That is not Emma. (laughs) Mm -mm. She is just outright vicious. Oh, yeah. Not only to uh, like her family or strangers, but even to her friends. Uh, Quote unquote friends. (laughs) Yeah, quote unquote friends. Well, I mean what kind of friends can you find that'll kill for you so yeah um, yeah so <laughs> spoiler number big, one <laughs> yeah big time spoiler alert it turns out that uh, the girl who died and the girl who's missing who does turn up dead uh emma is the murderer the 13 year old child um, along with her friends who along with her, her friends yeah strangle them mm-hmm. yeah her three God friends bless. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Yep. Uh, Wild. But even those friends who have literally killed for her, like what is typically the stereotypical like pinnacle of friendship, mm-hmm. she treats them like garbage. Like there is a oh, scene yeah. where um, she tells one of her friends to fuck off, and the quote is, "As if disciplining a cat smacked her on the jaw." Yeah. And then yeah. she like she girl says sorry, and then later on when Emma tells a joke and two of the girls uh, laugh, really like forced sounding laughs. Uh, the one that was slapped was still staring at the ground, a tear splash on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, that's the other gal. <laughs> it's the two Kelseys, but since they can't have two Kelseys, she mm-hmm. they call the other Kelsey by her last name, Jodes. Yeah, <laughs> Jodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh they are, my God. and they say yeah. at the end that they were thinking of killing Jodes next because she was the weak link, mm-hmm. the one always getting uh, smacked around, the one always unable to like you know st- take the emotional strain of their friendship. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. she was gonna be next, and it's like, oh my God, you were gonna I know <laughs> kill one of your good friends who has killed for you. I know, I know. I mean, the whole thing, and they're thirteen. I had to keep reminding myself of how old they were because again, I'm trying not. To compare it to the show too early, but the show they they up the age quite a bit. Mm-hmm. They're in high school in the show, so like that was like okay, still messed up, but I can kind of wrap my head around it. But thirteen years old, like yeah. I can't, I can't. It's Demon just, child, Demon child is right, absolutely yeah. the spawn of Satan, and you know, I mean, Adora is Satan. Let's be real here. So mm-hmm. it's oh my spawn god, of Satan, yeah, Antichrist, <laughs> yep, yep, Antichrist, uh huh. So it, yeah, and Emma, God, Emma's character is so intricate and so, I I don't even know how to describe her. So she, Mm -hmm. she is like such an enigma because she deliberately pushes buttons with Adora and knows that she's pushing buttons. But then when Adora like is poisoning her and is making her ill, I think my understanding is that she's fully aware of what she's doing and she's okay with it. Like she's like, but this is the only way that she'll actually like love me is if Mm -hmm. I let her poison me every day or poison me whenever she feels like it. And she is fully aware of that relationship and promotes it and then instigates some sort of fight with her mother to then have it flip back like oh i'm so sorry i'm your good little girl again it's it's such a messed up relationship and in a totally different way than what camille and adora have mm-hmm. and <laughs> oh, julie this is such a stress-inducing story <laughs> yes well, it's like 
Amba is definitely very aware of what Adora is doing mm-hmm. to her and is able to control her that way because if she plays up the neediness, like, you know, mama, mm-hmm. mama, you know, hug me, hold me. I don't feel good. Mama, mama. She, I think she thinks that she can both a control Adora and B stop her from going so far as to kill her. If she gives her what she wants, essentially. Mm-hmm. And there is a quote that's both in the book and the show, which uh, initially seems to be about Amma and boys because she mentions that she's sexually active, which again, 13. Um, and uh, like really sexually Very active. sexually active. I mean, we're yes. not talking like the, the early adolescent stage here. We're talking like... <laughs> Yeah. And also kind of a side comment from that to mention like, you know, demon child, there is a story that's told about Amma and how she gave one of her friends away to a bunch of older boys and guarded the door. They got her drunk first. While they did what the boys wanted to do. Yep. Yep. They gave it. They gave a completely inebriated friend to some boys as a gift. Yes. As a gift is what they said. I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, horrible Mm -hmm. but anyway Emma and Camille are talking about boys and Camille mentions to Emma even though Camille also was very sexually active at a very young age she says Mm -hmm. you shouldn't let boys do those kinds of things to you and she Mm -hmm. says sometimes if you let people do things to you you're really doing it to them know what I mean if someone wants to do fucked up things to you and you let them you're making them more fucked up then you have control as long as you don't go crazy. And it seems as if he's just talking about the boys, but honestly, that same quote can be applied to Adora, that if she's letting Adora poison her, then really she's poisoning or controlling Adora. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If she lets her do fucked up things to her, then she's making her more fucked up. And then she has control. Yeah. God bless. Yeah. That whole scene, because that's right after her and Camille went to the party and had like, oxy and had all the drugs and like all the drugs again the 13 year old is providing a 30 year old drugs i'm like what is happening and the 30 year old is partaking i know talk about Uh yeah that's what we talked about about when we talk about camille's character (laughs) yeah well oh don't you worry guys we'll get there we'll Uh, get there god it's we'll trickle down but yeah that whole scene where they're coming back from the party they're on they're rolling on e and that, you know, you, that quote you just said where she's talking about, you know, let people do stuff to you and then you're really pushing it back on them and you have control. But then in that same scene, she talks about how, like, do you ever just do you know what it's like to just you need to hurt? Mm-hmm. And in oh, Camille's yeah. eyes. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll read that quote if you have that and then we'll we'll break that down. Yeah, it's a, a, f- a few small quotes strung together. So it's, um, okay, you know, great. you know how sometimes you need to hurt. You know how people sometimes say they have to hurt because if they don't, they're so numb, they won't feel anything. What if it's the opposite? What if you hurt because it feels so good? Like you have a tingling, like someone left a switch on in your body and nothing can turn the switch off except hurting. What does that mean? <gasps> yes, that, that, oh, Julie, shivers. Okay. So, yeah. So when I had first read the book, I was, I was reading it and I was like, okay, this is such a messed up scene. But then when I went back again, like, so I, I watched the show a couple years ago, read the book, watched the show again, went back to the book. When I went back to the book the second time, it like, just like struck me that when she's talking about like, Camille is interpreting it as self-harm hurt, when in reality, she's talking about hurting others not herself and that like it's so subtle but then I'm like oh my god mind blown like it just kind of dawned on me I'm like oh my god she was saying it there like right there she was admitting to what she had done 
all about that context though right Mm -hmm. so i just wild scene it's a wild scene because camille's worried she's like self-harming and she's like you're not cutting yourself right and she's like i i need to hurt and it's like oh my god she's literally confessing right now and Mm -hmm. you don't know it yet because that twist has not happened technically Oh yeah, she definitely Camille definitely does not suspect because I mean, who would suspect a thirteen-year-old of I know. doing that? Who wants to admit that? Nobody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but also, I, I I watched the show first and then I read the book, and they kind of mentioned Emma's whole motivation right there, smack dab in the middle of the book, when it says Emma didn't want anyone to get more attention than her. Certainly not girls who couldn't compete when they were alive. Yep. That was it. That's her whole motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And that rolls into where Adora was, you know, tutoring the two girls that were murdered and she was giving them more attention Mm -hmm. than she was to Amma. And so Amma's response was, well, they got (laughs) to die. Yeah. It was like to kind of touch back on Adora a little bit uh, and just a little story context for everybody is uh, two Mm -hmm. little girls um, were named Ann Nash and Natalie Keene both nine and 10 years old when they died. And uh, Adora was tutoring them because the little girls reminded her a lot of Camille, how she was when she was young, free-spirited, tomboyish, rule breakers, all that kind of thing. And so she was tutoring them and getting close to them to kind of see if she could get a feel for Camille and understand her daughter. And Emma did not like that. She wanted all no. the attention on her. She was sort of friends with them at first, and then Adora got her hands on them, and suddenly mm-hmm. they became competition. And yep. Emma could not handle that. Uh, yeah, she because she said they would ruin everything because they were always asking, "Why are you sick all the time?" And and she was like, yeah, "I have the control here. If you come along, you're going to ruin everything. You mm-hmm. have to go, and I don't want yeah. you getting attention from my mom." And that was it. Yeah, which is really crazy too because that whole like they started asking questions and I I had to shut that down from Emma. Camille actually has a story that she remembers that she did the same thing where one of the friends that she hung out with when she was around that age like 15 or 16 started asking questions about her self-harm and so she shunned her made up some sort of story to make everybody make fun of her and like ostracized her one's friend so that she would stop asking questions mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like the same exact thing and i'm like oh this yeah. is so stressful <laughs> oh no. and uh, a, a good quote that from the book not a quote from a character essentially is a child weaned on poison considers harm a comfort Ooh, yeah wow brutal yeah brutal. <laughs> so oh my god julie mm-hmm. <laughs> okay well i mean <sighs> should we talk about Detective Willis before we talk about Camille? Yeah. yeah. Let's do that because Camille right. is Camille's going to take a hot second. So yeah. we'll, don't you worry, <laughs> listeners. We'll get there. We'll okay, get to her, yes. about Detective Willis. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I would say that uh, he is – he seems to just kind of be a, a literal character for Camille – to play with and get information from like that's what she regards him as she doesn't see him as a Mm -hmm. person per se just a source that she can get information from literally because she's a reporter she's here to tell the story yeah uh Mm -hmm. he's the head detective on the case and she wants information from him so she kind of allows herself to hang out with him and uh, essentially let him do things to her to get what she needs Mm mm-hmm 
Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. Just keep <laughs> repeating that cycle. Uh, yep. As for him, I won't say what his show counterpart is quite yet, but in comparison, he seems to be playing his own cards like closer to his chest. He's not giving mm-hmm. her a whole lot of information and he doesn't seem like as emotionally attached to her, mm-hmm. like not in a typical boyfriend kind of way. He seems to kind of view her also as a source of information because as a- She's a local. Uh, she's a local and she's writing her story. So she's talking to a lot of people about this. Um, and mm-hmm. as a genuine source of like, you know, entertainment or distraction because he's a big city guy, came to a small city town, nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, here's and another city girl. Him. Yeah, no yeah. one likes him. He's an outsider. Uh, so he's having fun with the other city person and they can, you know, drink late at night in a parking lot and shoot the shit, talk about random mm-hmm. things and hopefully develop a relationship close enough where they can mutually get information off of each other. Yeah. So what are your so, yeah, I totally agree. I think that they are both very much using each other to benefit what they need to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. She needs to write a story. He needs to solve a murder investigation. What did you think of the dynamic between the two when we kind of peel away the why they started to kind of involve themselves with each other? Like if you peel that away of like it's business, Mm -hmm. what did you think of their relationship? I mean, I think that both of them like eventually maybe wanted more out of it. However, the circumstances Mm -hmm. at the time prevented them from truly doing so. Like Mm -hmm. the first time they have sex, like genuine sex, not just the fingering they do in the woods. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Mm. Yeah. She, after they're done, essentially, um, she immediately tries to ask him for info on the case. And he seems surprised. Like he did not suspect that after they had done that, she would immediately turn it back around to their business side. Go to work. But Mm -hmm. once he like, you know, comes around to it, he's like, all right, fine. You know, tip for tat, he starts asking her for information too. So that chance to develop something more, which he seemed possibly ready for, she wasn't yet. And then later on when Camille, (laughs) as we'll talk about, has a moment with John and she's caught. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that whole thing. (laughs) She is almost desperate to fix things with Detective Willis, which she really shouldn't be if it was all strictly business. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, him, uh, quite understandably, does not want to. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then their whole relationship after that seems to be, we could have been friends, but we hurt each other. So here we are kind of thing. Like when she finds out that he suspects her mom of killing the girls, uh, Mm -hmm. as well as her sister, she was like, you knew this whole time? And he was like, well, yeah, but I'm not going to tell you. You're her daughter <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. And then they uh, yeah. plot together and plan and come up with what happens at the end of Camille getting evidence against her mom by allowing herself to be poisoned. <clears throat> yeah, and, she um, is the Yeah, dish. right? <laughs> and then um, at the end when he like, you know, breaks into rescue, he sees Camille, like sees her arms and her legs. And he's, yeah, his first she like- she wouldn't let him see any of her like they did like when they were having sex it was always with the clo- with their clothes mm-hmm. on and they yep. couldn't like her the way. lights are out clothes in off, her way off. yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah and yeah when he sees her like that his first thing to say is you're a cutter and that was it <laughs> i, I and, know and then she says i never heard from him again it's just like Ugh. i know Gross, i know dude. i was really disappointed by that because he up until the very end he was actually one of my favorite characters because mm-hmm. his dynamic with her was the most genuine because he was the most normal character in the whole book. <laughs> like, yeah, he was the most rounded as far as not being a psychopath um, mm-hmm. or a total <laughs> which, dick. 
Or a total jerk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was really disappointing. Yeah. And Camille's attitude towards it is like, you know, yeah, he found that I was a cutter. So, of course, he never came back. It's like that. That's not a reason to not, to not come yeah. back. I think it's a little bit I more mean, than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think obviously there was a lot of broken trust for mm-hmm. multiple reasons. But at the same time, it's like there's obviously a lot more to it than, oh, well, I can't be with a person who's completely covered in scars. Like yeah. that's not that might be like the initial like holy shit response but yeah, that's, that's definitely not the reason <laughs> like that's a turn off for a one night stand that's not a turn off for someone like that you've been who actually kind of connects seeing. with you yeah 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 his character because there was a lot of really great kind of witty like writing and dialogue between the two of them that i really enjoyed and i was like man it's really unfortunate that it didn't work out because i think that he was good for her because he was actually like mentally stimulating and was actually adjusted, like well adjusted mm-hmm. and like was stable. But, you know, at the same time, it's like there it was never going to work. Like they were never going to be able to be on that same page because she is used to having to be completely detached from everyone mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And who do we have to thank for that? Mommy mama yeah. <laughs> like oh my god oh mama such a train wreck such mm-hmm. a train wreck yeah i and i i'm always glad when a story doesn't end with the uh breeding pair riding off into the distance yeah and, <laughs> to live happily yeah. ever after but man uh, was it a depressing way to end it i was like yeah. oh i mean yeah it's not your stereotypical romance and i appreciate that but at the same time damn that's depressing mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just not really – there's no happy, fuzzy, warm feeling at the end. That book ends and you're like, what did I just read? <laughs> yeah, that, that ending of, and he never talked to her again because she's a cutter, just immediately make him made him less likable. Or, yeah, real shallow. Or if it, since it's Camille's point of view, makes you wonder what else she may have overlooked uh, of mm-hmm. him in the past, whether good yeah. or bad. You yeah, know, true. That's her interpretation. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe she uh, he never talked to her again because she cheated on him while they were seeing each other. I mean, there's <laughs> that could with be an eighteen-year-old no. guys that makes John Keane. But, but like Adora, that makes it less Camille's fault and more his fault if he never saw her again because of the scars and not because of her cheating. Oh, that's true. Uh, ooh, ooh. Is that the yeah, I'm wondering I, how much like her mom she is? Well, and I think uh, now I'm trying to cross over. I can't remember if it's the show or the book that says like nothing is like I think Adora or Alan says it to her like nothing is ever your fault. Like you don't own up to anything, which I think to a certain extent is kind of true. But I don't think it's for the same reasons as what like Adora is accusing her of. Like Mm -hmm. I think that she doesn't take responsibility for certain things. But at the same time, her whole <laughs> interpretation of life <laughs> is so messed up. Yeah. Like, I can see why she'd want to deflect everything because nothing makes sense. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, it's like it's a the time that it comes, and I also can't remember if it's the book or the show uh, mm-hmm. of that quote. You kind of feel for Camille because Adora is literally blaming her for every little thing that is clearly not her fault. Not, but her there fault. are times where yes, Camille absolutely does not take any kind of responsibility for anything that she does like like i just mentioned i guess we're talking about camille now yeah we're (laughs) we're on it we're doing this when it comes to richard (laughs) richard never saw her again because she's a cutter not because she only used him for information didn't emotionally engage with him and cheated on him with a 19 year old child (laughs) 18 
Mm-hmm. Eighteen uh, year old. Is he eight? I thought he was Bare- nineteen yeah. in the book and eighteen in the show. Uh, I think that's reversed. I think he's eighteen in the book and nineteen in the show. Well, I, I just watched the show, and when the police break in and you know they see what happened, then they ask him, "Are you of age, son?" He goes, "I'm 18. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe I miss. I switched yeah. it. Either way, anyway, 18, 19, 18, 19. Old, She's thirty something. She's like mid to late thirties, and I'm like, yeah. Grass, grass, grass. It's a and, little much. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So it's like it's his fault. He never saw her again. Not her fault. Uh, yeah. In that circumstance. Um, well, and also that whole relationship with where she. Okay, I can't even call it a relationship. That whole fling with John mm-hmm. with her was such a like completely self-destructive thing to do which again we keep coming back to there's a lot of things in camille's life where it's very self-destructive because look at her childhood look at her dynamic with her mother look at what happened to her sister and then look at the outcome of like how she manifested that pain and suffering and anxiety and whatever you want to call it and i mean obviously that is inevitable to be going down a self-destructive path and it's like over and over and over because that's all she knows and it's painful to watch over and over (sighs) god bless Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. camille's character is wild Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about her then (laughs) yeah talk let's talk about her Mm -hmm. i know we're i feel like we're going to be talking about the book a lot and Mm -hmm. i feel like the show's the show's really close, but I feel like it's going to be mostly the book and then comparison on this one. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense because uh, Camille essentially is the book. Um, yeah, and with the show, yeah. we'll have a bit more to talk about because, like I said before, you get to other characters' uh, point of views on things and a little bit more of their stories as well. So mm-hmm. we'll have more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, with the with the show, mm-hmm. let's talk about Camille here. Yeah. So thoughts. Utterly, utterly, utterly racked with self-loathing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if she doesn't acknowledge it, she's kind of like an unreliable narrator in that regard. She just mm-hmm. totally hates herself. And you can see it in the way she describes her town and everyone around her. She has nothing nice to say about it mm-hmm. or anyone there, which just reflects mm-hmm. the way she just thinks about herself as well because she came from there Uh, like in the beginning when uh, her boss asked her about the town and she says you know you're either um, uh, money or trash and he asked her what are you she goes trash from money (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, which kind of gives you like a whole image right there Um, yeah that kind of does it in a nutshell of what mm -hmm. she thinks of herself yeah and when it comes to herself like anything that happened to her wasn't that bad she says when she was sexually assaulted as a teenager like we said very sexually active very early she let that happen yeah. to her it wasn't sexual assault aren't aren't women allowed to take responsibility for things these days she says to uh, to the detective it's, it's like all you big city feminists you know think that you know six guys on a girl and that's bad it's like what if i wanted to be there kind of thing but yeah, then when she thinks that about you're 16 yeah. years old and you literally were passed around and raped by a football team mm-hmm. and that's consensual and it's like oh, yeah and then when she yeah. but then when she thinks about Emma doing that and Emma you know the vicious little demon child she is uh, mm-hmm. thinks she's in control of everything that's happening to her Camille can then see how wrong it is because it's happening Mm -hmm. to someone else not because it happened to her it happened to her therefore okay it's happening to her sister not okay 
Yeah, because it's you're able to kind of remove yourself from the picture and be like, oh, I would never wish that on anybody else. But then for some reason, she has deemed it acceptable for her to go through it because she has so little regard for her own image in her own body, which mm-hmm. is it's tragic. It's so broken and so tragic. Uh, yeah, her her character is just so incredibly smart and so sh- like we can get kind of punny here sharp <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but it, it's just so broken there's so many things about her that it's it's painful as the reader to see just like anytime she looks in the mirror she's she literally cringes and and like runs away from the the view of the mirror or immediately covers herself up and has nothing but negative things to say whenever anything remotely visible of her skin is is kind of in the narrative Mm -hmm. and i mean and that's just like a physical kind of state that's not even the mental state of like we were just talking about with all the sexual like assault that she had in her life and uh, yeah it's a lot and since because since she is just consumed with self-loathing she is unable to say no to anything, even if it's to her own detriment. Like when her boss asked her to come back to this old town to do a paper, clearly this town and the people in it are not good for her. If she had any sense of self-preservation, especially after just coming out of a psych hospital, she would have turned that down and said, no, absolutely not. I am not going back there. It is bad for my health. But she doesn't say that. She just kind of like gives a token of like, I, I don't want to do that kind of story. And he's like, you know, you got to do the story. She's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll do the story. And then um, yep. when uh, she's passing by Emma in the night and with Emma's friends, um, she says, I worried they'd ask me to buy them liquor. Not because I wouldn't. Pathetically, I wanted them to just want me alone. Like I was popular yep. once again. Not a freak. Approved of by the coolest girl in school. And then when she takes drugs with a 13-year-old at a party of teenagers, <laughs> she says, I couldn't take it. I was losing ground, feeling that dangerous need to please, just like the old days. And really, one wasn't going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. And sh- that that whole like need to please comes back up when they catch her with John. Mm-hmm. She she goes groveling back to the detective to be like, I'm sorry, like, I just want you to like me. Please don't hate me. Well, she goes back to him by sticking her hand down his pants. Like, I know. Because that's she's what like, she I can th- feel considers it all her worth. Coming yeah. back. Yep, yep. And she's like, all I need to do is just make him forget and he'll like me again and I'll go back to the way things were. And she even comments, she's like, I had one moment of peace with John. And then the second that door opened, everything came crashing down and I went right back to the same shit that I'd been doing. Mm-hmm. And she even acknowledged it. And I'm like, oh, that's almost worse. Yeah. Because she knows it's self-destructive. She knows the habits that she goes to. And it's mm-hmm. just oh, gut-wrenching yeah. to, to see her go through that over and over again. And to talk about that moment of peace with John, it's like to give a little context again, John was the older mm-hmm. brother of one of the girls who died, the second girl. And mm-hmm. it, they... literally like almost just found her and he's grieving and um he and camille kind of bond because they both have dead sisters and camille Mm -hmm. either genuinely or as a pretense was concerned that he might hurt himself some way if he was uh left to go on his own so she followed him back to his either apartment or hotel room and 
yeah, they did the nasty. <laughs> but they did and, it in such a way that was different from when she had sex with Very the detective different. because she allows him to take her clothes off, which he didn't do with the detective. She allowed him to see all of her scars and he didn't mm-hmm. turn her away. And that was her moment yeah, I mean, of peace. He was like he was reading her. Literally reading her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. And she comments like that was the first time since she had like right before she had started cutting that she had been able to have like a moment like that. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking like over a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though like, you know, taken wholly out of context, you know, for someone of such self-hatred, what a great moment to have someone like literally see you for the mm-hmm. first time and not be turned away. However, <laughs> it is the context that makes it so self-destructive because professionally, this is like, you know, a source for a paper that she's uh, supposed to be writing. And he's he's being investigated for potentially being a suspect. Mm-hmm. For it's killing like, his sister, uh, yeah. His- and uh, morally, she's seeing the detective and they have had no conversation about what they are to know mm-hmm. if this is okay or not to step out and you know see someone else. And- you know, just societally, he's 18, 19 years old. He's a, he's a wee lamb. Maybe legal, but like Barely. so bad. <laughs> Barely legal. And, and yeah. he's in an emotionally bad place because his sister just died. And he's totally drunk out of his mind. At yes, that he's also totally blitzed. <laughs> and yeah, totally blitzed. Also, we go back to yet again. She didn't say she couldn't say no. Yeah. He was asking to see her skin because he's like, I saw it peeking out of your sweater mm-hmm. before. What is this? And he started lifting up her her sweater and she's like, No, don't. And he's like, It's okay, let me see. And she's like, No, nobody sees. And then she lets him do it anyway. And then yeah. lo and behold, okay, I guess we're getting naked now and having sex, even though I technically said no. Then it's like, well, not technically. She did say no. And it's yeah. like, what is and again <laughs> that thing of self-hatred of like you know it's not rape if i allowed it to happen right if yeah. you don't fight it's not rape and it's like oh honey that there's all sorts of wrong to that quote unquote consent yeah yeah <sighs> yep, yep 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 her character I, I just feel like i'm saying the same thing over and over but her character is just so tragic mm-hmm. and so depressing yeah I, th- I think there's a quote in the book that kind of like sums it up for her sorry i've got a lot of quotes for the book uh no i says, love this this is great <laughs> i was never really on my side in any argument i liked the old testament spitefulness of the phrase got what she deserved sometimes women do Ooh. yeah 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 man old testament man mm-hmm. talk about yep. self-loathing to, to see know. yourself in that light of you know i get what i deserve like you've mm-hmm. done something to deserve all of this in her all life. All of this. Yeah. Like everything that's happened into your, in your life up until this point was your own doing. Which mm-hmm. again, it's like you go back to Adora saying, oh, you never take responsibility for everything. And yet she kind of does, but kind of doesn't. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. take responsibility in the sense that it's not her own doing in the sense that she's controlling it. So it is her own doing, but not like it's not because it's her causing it. It's just because it's not wrong. It's like this weird clusterfuck of a a rationale that it's Mm -hmm. like this is so messed up it gets so messed up it gets into weird tricky territory of the conversations happening nowadays with like you know the me too movement and what is consent and um what is the responsibility of both parties when it comes to consent and and this kind of thing so in this situation with john the topic of responsibility is a little weird because you can say that camille should have taken responsibility for what happened because 
she allowed herself to be in that situation and let John undress her so that she wouldn't have to do it and take responsibility. But then you get into that touchy territory of like, well, she said no, and he did it anyway. Uh, And at what point do, at what point does the responsibility fall on you and the other party and how much can you take responsibility for in that kind of situation? It's all kinds of touchy. And in today's climate, I don't know exactly what the, right answer here is and i think that's kind of the point where it just shows you how messy these things can be it's not always so clear yeah 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 Yeah. because in one fashion of you know again going back to her having sex with john she did say no in the beginning Mm -hmm. he did not listen she still said no but then allowed it or quote unquote allowed it she didn't she didn't force like she didn't stop it Mm -hmm. and so that's one facet of it. But then at the same time, you look at the outcome of what happened when she let him see her. Mm-hmm. She had this like moment of relief and release, literally. Yeah. Which is the first time that she'd really been able to do that in years. So it's like you see the outcome. It's like, well, the outcome was actually kind of a revelation for her. But then you look at how it started and it's like, oh, God, the lines are so blurry. It's so blurry. Mm-hmm. And and then on the other hand Oof. side of that, she is a, an adult woman, like we said, mid-30s-ish, taking a mm-hmm. drunk teenager emotionally back to her room. An emotionally distraught. Teenager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blissed out of his mind, back to yeah. her room. That itself is a whole other issue of his consent, regardless of gender. Yeah. Flip, flip the gender roles there and it's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, the morality behind a lot of the kind of instigators for that whole scene. It's like, woof. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, and it's a whole lot on both sides of it that makes that very sticky, sticky, not great. Definitely not the poster relationship of consent. No, <laughs> no definitely no. not. Yeah. So <laughs> it goes a lot oh, to speak Lordy. for Camille's sense of self-worth. Let's say that. Uh, yeah, where she ultimately was unable to tear herself away from something initially did not want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Like we say that, you know, it's a common thing for you know people to denigrate women and stories of rape to say, oh, she could have gotten away. Oh, she could have done this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she had it come in, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. And, and here in this instance, we, we see like she could have, this is a, a drunk teenager. She could have stepped out of the room. She could have not gone back to the hotel. But mm-hmm. again, sticky territory. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she did though. She made the conscious decision to mm-hmm. go in the room with him. She yep. made the conscious decision to let him continue to take her clothes off, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't really what she wanted, yeah. she didn't really. I, I mean, it's just like I, I hate getting into that territory because it's yeah, like I would say she gave Ooh. a token protest is what happened. Yes, looking back on it. Yes, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like that argument of like, oh, well, you just didn't fight hard enough to stop it. Yeah. It's like no, I think no, no, that's not. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> if if he hadn't like taken her clothes off and did it her way, like she did with the detective, she still would have done it. And that would have been, I think so. quote unquote, more consensual. It was the taking the clothes off that she was not okay with initially. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, oh, sticky, Lordy. sticky territory. Sticky, sticky. I know. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of move away from that because that's, yet again, that could be a whole podcast. Yes, exactly. Forever. Yeah, um, break apart let's everything. Not. Let's conclude yeah, they assaulted each other at the end. Yeah, it was not great all around. No. Um, okay, so let's kind of transition into the source material. Um, this is really hard to separate because the the show 
did such a good job of keeping to the book. Mm-hmm. And added a lot more. And added a ton more, yeah. And I think it helps when you don't have a restriction of it has to be within, you know, an hour and a half to two and a half hours or whatever, like a standard movie length. You know, mm-hmm. you've got eight episodes to work with. It definitely gives you a lot more room to ex- expound on all of that. Um, so I'll give a quick, real short synopsis. It's basically the same. <laughs> um, so crime reporter Camille Preaker suffering from alcoholism and recently discharged from a psychiatric hospital after years of self-harming returns to her hometown of Wind Gap, Missouri to investigate the murders of two young girls <laughs> and a lot of other things. And a lot uh, of other things, yes. <laughs> a lot of other things. Uh, so yeah, I mean, real, really fast, something that stood out to me about the the source material, or excuse me, not the source material, the uh, the show, the adaptation, was um, not even actually story related, but kind of was actually the cinematography style mm-hmm. of the show. What were your thoughts on that? The cinematography really kind of captures, like, I would say, the distance of people. You don't get a whole lot of like facial close-ups that like movies and tv shows are fond of these days mm-hmm. like you know zero in on the emotion it's always just like mm-hmm. a little bit of distance even when it's just camille we kind of like feel like we're a passenger with her as opposed mm-hmm. to seeing things from her point of view as it were right and we always anytime there is a zoom in it's always on things that a character is seeing so we still kind of have mm-hmm. that distance while seeing what they're focusing on kind of thing and yeah. then to, to jump back in the book real quick of Camille's characterization with her cutting words into her. She says she feels the words stinging and singing at her sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. particular words humming, in particular yeah. situations. In the show, you see those words kind of in the environment around her. Like she sees words mm-hmm. carved into a tablecloth around a fork, a sharp object in a restaurant, or when she gets the information that her mom poisoned her sister Mm -hmm. as she uh, pulls the car over the side of the road a store sign says queasy on it and it wasn't until they show in a shot later that it's changed back to normal that you realize that's not the name of the store i'd hate to think what a store called queasy would stock (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i mean super super subtle stuff like that and mm -hmm. i know there's an episode i think it's the first or second episode that she's taking a bath in the tub at her parents house Mm -hmm. and she they show like they end the episode with like that's the first time you see the extent of her scars mm-hmm. and they kind of pan away to her back facing the camera up against the back of the tub. And then right before it fades to black, they do a quick little highlight of a word on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it's like just like this quick little pop. And I think the word's like vengeance or something like Vanish. that. But it's the name of the episode. Vanish. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that the, the names of the episodes, which also I think are words that are highlighted mm-hmm. at some point in the episode slash on her body somewhere. Yeah, they're all names. They're all scars, essentially. Every mm-hmm. name of the episode of every episode is her scars. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. And the cinematography style, like something that stood out to me specifically is anytime she had a memory of some kind, it was either just audio that would flash in and out. Or it was sound that was overlaid to something she was doing in real time. It was normally not they, – they had moments where both would happen where it would literally cut away to a memory. But the flashing in and out, it was very sensory in one direction or the other. And the the kind of tension that that made was genius. Mm-hmm. It was so striking. And I loved how they did that. And it, it's, it was beautifully shot. And it just gave so much more – texture to how scattered 
her memories are and how kind of jarring they were because a lot of her memories are pretty traumatic mm-hmm. and the the way that they cut away and just do like quick little glimpses and highlight like they get really really close to certain things and then they zoom out and then it's just like it, it was I can't even describe it it was just so well put together yeah well it, it kind of reflects how memories like really are like when you remember something yeah. it tends to be a flash or a moment and then yeah. you move on you don't sit there and like you know relive an entire memory in silence and then move on with your day <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and I think that that's why I thought it was it was so striking was because mm-hmm. it really did feel like those fractions of a second where some a smell brings you back or something you see brings you back or a, a feeling brings you back and it's not in a complete perfect like you're having a film play in your head of your memory right it's it's really quick snippets and maybe only half of your sensory is there so it's just visual or it's just smell or it's just sound and then the actual like full cutting away to a a memory in a full scene and you hear the words you see the imagery and all that that's really for the viewer to just get some background on the character it's not actually an emotional connection or a memory from the character so like it was very two distinctive styles of understanding where the character was coming from at that moment Mm -hmm. and i loved it it was so good yeah, like specifically with uh, Camille's roommate from back in the hospital, we see her face mm-hmm. several times as like Camille looks into a mirror and sees her face or looks around and mm-hmm. sees her there. Or we've seen her several times before we get the actual flashback three episodes later uh, mm-hmm. as to who this person is. So we already realize, oh, she's important because we've seen her and Camille has thought about her, but we don't know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. There's a lot of glimpses and they do that throughout the entire show where there's things that it's so fast and so like jarring it like to to have these memories pop in you're like I have zero context for that which is genius because it's her mind just jumping to something and then jumping back to what's happening Mm -hmm. and then you get that context later down the road which they the scene where she's about to (laughs) uh, get gang raped by the football team Mm -hmm. uh they have a lot of cutaways about where she's on the ground and she sees bugs crawling on the ground and it really has super hyper focus on the bugs yep. or the sounds in the forest or it's just like a really, really close up of her just focusing on those things and it's all kind of blurry in the background or really fast in the background and then the the more they start kind of building out that memory, you start to realize, oh my God, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh kind of God. contradicts Camille's own interpretation of that, of like, you know, nothing bad happened. I consented to this. It was, I wanted to be there kind of thing. It's like, uh, if you did, I don't think you'd be focusing so much on those bugs, my dear. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. And she doubles down on that because later on, like, you know, as adults, one of her uh, assaulters actually tries to apologize to her oh, for yeah. what happened. And she just kind of, she bats it away. She slams him down. She says, from what I remember, you couldn't even get it up kind of thing, kind of giving him an out as a character because he's been get, doing the sad eyes the whole show. And uh, mm-hmm. theater teacher, right? Yeah. The theater teacher, the Mr. Lacey, I think his name was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, she just like totally emasculates him for bringing it up and kind of just like, it was my idea to be there. I wanted to be there. You did nothing to me that I didn't let you do kind of thing trying to take Mm -hmm. uh, ownership of it, I guess, so it doesn't hurt, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, and she even says, like, oh, I barely even – I I don't even remember it. I barely even think about it. Mm -hmm. He's like, that has haunted me to this day. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I don't 
I don't even think about it. Yeah. But you see that memory pop in and out mm-hmm. through the entire show. To show that so it's, it's still obviously her. still there. Yeah. yeah. But she's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. It's mm-hmm. fine. And then when she brings it up to uh, Detective Willis and he kind of has like a visceral negative reaction to that story. She didn't even say it was her. She just mentioned football players would sometimes bring cheerleaders out here to do a rail before the big mm-hmm. game. And he was like, what? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, up. that's rape, Camille. He goes like, no, it's not. <laughs> is it though? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And then, is, again, sticky territory. And then when he asked her outright if that happened to her, she kind of just like blows off the question, does not answer it. And it's like, you know, it, mm-hmm. if you really were okay with it, I don't think you would be so hesitant to admit. Skirt around yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, ooh, I... Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the cinematography I loved, uh, mm-hmm. long story short. And um, also, I think that the 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 way that they used music mm-hmm. in each episode was very, very particular. And I, I think my favorite part about the music was the player that she has. It's like the same set of music and you keep hearing the recurring songs they keep coming back and i think it's like that's the one thing that can kind of ground her and it keeps coming back where you you know that we find out later that the player that she has was actually the girl who was in the psychiatric Mm -hmm. facility her her, yeah her roommate yeah who then commits suicide um so there's a lot of emotional turmoil around that and so like there's a lot of tie to music and Again, like weirdly enough, like Alan's character, the the um, stepfather, is like super into music and like basically just puts on headphones and like just puts his head up his ass the entire time. <laughs> like it's like or up Adora's ass, God, really, or up Adora's ass. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God, Alan. Mm-hmm. God, he skis. is very much fleshed out in the show as opposed to the book. Mm-hmm. In the book, he's just more or less Adora's creature. He really is a creature. Yeah. That is an excellent word choice. He is legit just, he is like creature from Harry Potter. Yeah. Like he is like, just, ugh. Yeah, just like mealy, greasy, and just kind of unpleasant, but not there. Like he's just uh, like, he's just like soggy toast. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I can't handle how mm-hmm. he is. Was like <laughs> in the book, he's mentioned like, you know, just like eating sardines off a plate kind of thing. And when he talks to yeah. Camille, it's essentially just her mother's words coming back at her kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He's just uh, a parrot. Whereas in the yeah. show, it kind of shows a bit more of his and Adora's relationship where, yes, he's still kind of that creature toadiness to him, but he also pushes back on occasion. Like they kind mm-hmm. of give this. Barely, but yeah. Yeah, they kind of give this like, you know, minor subplot that there might be a thing between the town sheriff and Adora. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. a, a mutual attraction thing. Who knows if it's gone anywhere? But Alan is very much not okay with that. He's got a lot of, like, you know, side quips for both of them about it. Oh, yeah. He's sassy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, one, one exactly one occurrence, because they have different be- bedrooms, of uh, him, I would essentially say, forcing her wifely duties upon Adora incident where he comes into the room and essentially she's like, you know, I'm going to have sex with you right now kind of thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was very odd. I felt at the time it's real creepy. Yeah. But kind of plays into a topic we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And he also seems to be more of a willing accomplice to what Adora is doing to his daughters, essentially. Marion and Emma are both his yeah, daughters. because those are both his birth daughters, mm-hmm. yeah. Because 
if you just look at like, you know, words he says, you can assume maybe he isn't aware that it's Adora doing it. Like he mm-hmm. could just like suppose, oh, my girls are sick. You know, I'll let the mother take care of them because I'm mother's duties kind of thing. However, mm-hmm. uh, in at the end of episode seven, uh, when uh, Emma is getting real sick, he kind of goes over to his music, which is why I thought of it, puts on his headphones. And it's a song about you're loving a girl so much you poison her to keep her as she is. Yeah. And he has a flashback yeah. to when Emma was younger and healthier and them singing it together. So you show that he loves his daughter but he realizes she's going to die and that's him warning her essentially, but allowing it to happen. Cause yeah. in the very next episode yeah. when Emma's trying to come down the stairs and go get help, he stops her and says, and says go back up. Yeah, now is I'll not the time to cake. insert yourself. Cause now that Camille has allowed herself to be poisoned, the pressure's off Emma. So I think maybe he's thinking, if this happens, I can keep you alive a little bit longer, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and he even comments in, I think it's the second to last or the very last episode where Adora is making her <laughs> her crazy poison cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, don't overdo it. So mm-hmm. I th- it's like he knows to a certain extent that it's not necessarily helpful of what she's doing. But then he's like, you know, just let the body do what it, ca- it does. Like bodies yeah. are very resilient. Mm-hmm. They can kind of figure it out. And she's like, oh, I'm just helping nature along. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Well. He knows, but he doesn't want to admit it out loud because that would make right. it real. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think the one, one scene that I was like, I kind of have like a f- sliver of sympathy for him is there's, it's somewhere in the middle of the series that he has the conversation with Adori. He's like, you know, I lost a daughter too. And he gets all uppity about the the weird, too friendly relationship that Adora has with the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And he comments like, you know, I lost a daughter too. And I, I, you know, you you have, like, you've given your shoulder for the entire town to cry on and lean on. And you're there for everybody else. And where where is the attention that I need as your husband? And I've also lost a child too. And he like... Which is totally legitimate. Like, it's totally true. And that's like the one scene where I'm like, it's really sad to see him like that because he's like, I have no sympathy or love or any sort of affection or support from you. And all I do is, is you know, hold you up mm-hmm. and do what you ask of me. And all I ask is a little bit of attention from you and you can't give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. And it's a really sad scene. But that everything else about him, I'm like, oh. Like that that one scene is like, okay, I do feel bad for you because that is really shitty. But then everything else about him, like, you are such a yeah. sk- skis bucket. Like, I can't handle him. He's And he does such a good job of being just gross. Yeah. And it's like, you feel sorry for him until like, you know, towards the end when you realize that he knows what Adora is doing. So it's like, sure, oh, you have totally lost a daughter too, but you... You let her die. You, if you, you truly inst- loved you your child and you knew what was happening, you could have grabbed her and run at any exactly. time. But you didn't. Yeah, he's totally, because you totally are complicit. a creature. <laughs> I know. He really is. He's mm-hmm. just like, he's like Igor or Igor or whatever. Yeah. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't. I can't handle it. But they they did a good job of depicting his character in a way that it's like, I love to hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, just... Totally not there until you learn more about him. And it's like, you know what? I wish I learned less about you. <laughs> yeah. And again, we going back to Adora really quick in the show, Patricia Clarkson nailed it. Oh, yes. She nailed that character so much. 
And I've seen her in many a other thing, and which always makes me think of her in like Six Feet Under, where she's like complete polar opposite oh, yeah. character. <laughs> but she just absolutely, I'm going to be punny again. She killed that role. Mm-hmm. God, she was so good in that. I loved her to bits. Like, I again, love to hate her character. Mm-hmm. Just the kind of person you would expect to live in a Victorian mansion down south. Oh, uh, yeah. And... Uh, just like drinking every night. Oh, you know, what will the neighbors think? And I have a maid mm-hmm. who does all, everything for me. And, mm-hmm. oh, you should have called ahead. Your room's not ready. And mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. The Southern pleasantries while stabbing you in the back at the same time kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. the whole, ta- whole town wrapped around her finger could do no wrong. And in the show has basically the chief of police or sheriff or whoever he is like at her beck and call mm-hmm. like the sheriff yeah, yeah he comes to her when he has uh leads in the case he comes to her asking her to not put on a festival kind of thing at her house because it would be a bad idea with tension so high but she was like well you could ask me to do that but you know theoretically i have the power to oust you as sheriff kind of thing oh yeah that's right Mm -hmm. and then he's like oh you're being so fiery and she's like haha but i'm serious yeah yeah yeah, it's oh yeah her she just nailed that role so much and you know i feel like we're this is gonna be really hard we're already basically at the comparison yep so we'll just we'll We'll just jump right in slide slide right in there i was gonna say well biggest comparison i would say is the ending Mm. which are different in the two uh, sources mm-hmm. here we'll start with uh, camille allowing herself to be poisoned by her mom her motivations yeah. in the book and the tv seem to be a little bit different yes. and both of them the part of her really wants to experience what her mother's love is and to do that she needs to be sick mm-hmm. by her mother's hand essentially so that's one reason yeah. why she's doing it in the book she had previously worked out with the detective that he would be coming to rescue her. She just needed to get a little evidence. So she was also doing it for that kind of thing. She had an escape plan. Mm -hmm. She was never going to die. It was all just a matter of, on the one hand, getting the evidence they needed to take her away. And on the other hand, uh, selfishly experience what motherly love feels like. Mm -hmm. And in the TV show... They, she doesn't have that conversation with Richard. She doesn't know that Mm-mm. he suspects her mom at all, except in the death of her sister. She has no reason to think that he's going to come by for anything. When she mm-hmm. allows herself to be poisoned, it's because she see, sees Emma, who she's coming to love as her sister again, is really sick and dangerously mm-hmm. sick. And when she mm-hmm. can't convince her mom to stop, she suddenly says, you know, oh, my stomach, I'm in such pain and immediately mm-hmm. grabs her mom's attention. Her. Yeah. And yeah. it works. Like Dora is immediately uh, at her side, taking care of her and leaving Emma alone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she, and when she's, uh, when Camille is alone with Emma, she tries to get her to go and says to find Richard. And if she can't find her before she dies, like she fully expects that she might die. She says to tell Richard that her mom was taking care of her. So there is no backup plan. This is a, yeah, a possible like, suicide attempt. dying is, yeah. Yeah, is the backup plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to save her sister. Yeah, it's, ooh, yeah. It's, uh, it's nuts. And I th- it's interesting, too, because the uh, when she leaves the hotel with John in the show, she finds all the medical records in her car, which we kind of, like, they allude that the detective got those documents and left it in her car to like give to her to show her what was going on Mm -hmm. 
Whereas in the book, he had already been investigating for a while and then she got to that conclusion on her own and then found out that he had already been looking into it and had beat her to it and had had that information for some time. So then she goes to his wherever he's staying and she's like, what the hell is this? Like you you were keeping tabs on my family and you knew all this and said nothing. So very different kind of trajectory of how they got to that information. Mm-hmm. But the outcome, I think they, you know, they hit the tone yeah. of, you know, the result was I'm going to go to my house. I'm going to make my mom poison me so that I have evidence that she is deliberately trying to poison her children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a wild ride. And that's not even like the actual end. That- nope. <laughs> the end end <laughs> is that, you know, the uh, in both the book and the show, even though they didn't have a plan in the show, uh, the police come by and rescue them. And Emma goes to live with Camille in the t- in the big city while Adora is going through the trial and is eventually found guilty and put away. But then Emma makes a friend in the new town who yeah, she suspects that Camille likes more. Uh, in the book, it's just Camille. Uh, in the show, it's Camille and her boss and her boss's wife who like really take a shine to this young new friend. Mm-hmm. And then the friend goes missing and no one can find mm-hmm. her. And mm-hmm. uh, she's eventually, and in the book, she's eventually found with her teeth missing and Camille immediately freaks out, confirms that her mom is not out of prison <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. eventually finds the teeth uh, as part of a dollhouse that Emma has been working on um, part of an ivory floor. Um, that was part of her mom's mansion which I'll put a note to talk about in a bit here. Ivory floor. Um, yeah, the ivory And floor. Uh, basically she'd been using teeth to mimic the ivory floor and that it wasn't mm-hmm. finished yet, that there was a lot of room to kill more people to add there. And the book ends with Emma in prison and Camille going to talk to her and basically finding out what her motivations were, why she did it, how it all happened. That's how we find out about the friends and who she planned to kill next. And mm-hmm. um, Camille wondering just about herself because her whole family is so fucked it's up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. in the in the show, we see Emma going to live with Camille, her mom going through the trial and whatnot, and the friend making uh, herself cozy in Camille and Emma's life. And then the mom coming by saying, hey, have you seen, you know, the girl? And Camille saying no. And then the mom was like, yeah, I think, you know, the girls had their first fight, you know, as girls do. Blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Calm and blah, blah, blah. Uh, then back in the apartment, Camille finds, you know, a toy or something that belongs in the dollhouse. She goes to the dollhouse. She sees a doll in the window that's positioned like one of the dead girls that was found. And then when mm-hmm. she looks in the dollhouse, she sees all the teeth of the floor as well as teeth underneath the, the bed. And then we see Emma in the doorway. And when Camille turns back, she only says, don't tell mama and cuts to black. And that was it. Except there was a thingy. Aaron, did you see the thingy? I know. So here's yes. the thing about the thingy, the thingy. Julie. So when I had first seen that show, I stopped it mm-hmm. thinking, oh, that's the end yep. and paused it and didn't see it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see that there was a little like extension final scene after the credits until this like the the more recent time that I went back and watched it because I was like just letting it run and I was like oh my god that show's so good and then all of a sudden there was another scene I'm like wait what yep. so I like I was it, oh my god it blew my mind mm-hmm. Julie so yeah that scene is like a really fast and dirty um like chaotic shot of Emma and her friends 
killing the first girl. First two girls. And oh, both of yes. them. Yes, and the and the neighbor girl. And the neighbor yeah, girl. Yeah, it's like the a compilation yeah. of all three of their kills that we know of. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that the first time I saw that because I thought it just ended with her saying, "Don't tell mama," and then it just cuts to black. And I'm like, oh my god, what a crazy way to end mm-hmm. a series! And I loved it. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh no, there's more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it was wild. And I appreciate that ending more than the book, honestly. Um, I do too. I don't. I don't need to know why Emma did what she did because once you go back and reread and rewatch, you can oh, you can totally pick out it. why she did what yeah. she did. Yeah, because she talks about it all the time. Like the you know, yeah, do you, don't you feel like you need it. to hurt something or you know, mm-hmm. I didn't like those girls. They were going to ruin everything and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, you can yep. you can piece it's together all what they over were. The place. You don't need her to spell it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a scene in the book. Um, that it's like this really, really quick, not even really a necessary scene, but it's just that extra texture that it just foreshadows and you don't even realize it. So there's a scene where it's all the friends are in Amma's room and they're all kind of like giggling and standing around the dollhouse that she's making and they're all, the top is off and they're all looking down mm-hmm. at the house except for the other um, the other Kelsey who goes by the last name. Jodes. Jodes, mm-hmm. thank you. She's like awkwardly not looking at it and is like visibly uncomfortable and all the other girls are laughing and just kind of like hanging out and on that top layer of the house is the bedroom adora's bedroom Mm -hmm. with the teeth so it's like they're all kind of like creepily reliving their murders Mm -hmm. or maybe setting the floor they're probably working on it or setting the floor Mm -hmm. or both and it's like oh my god because like you don't catch that the first time. I didn't even catch it the second time I read that. And then I was rereading it right before this. And I was like, oh, my God. It's it's layered all throughout the story in both versions. And it's, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I liked the ending of the show substantially more. Mm-hmm. It just, it had so much more edge to it. It was so much more aggressive in, in a way that it just completely captured how bonkers that story is <laughs> totally totally and they definitely flesh it out a bit more like there are whole scenes that weren't in the book or are added to because of additional things like uh camille's mm-hmm. articles being published and the town reading them that's not in the book yeah uh, but it is no, in the show and that becomes a motivation for why adora does what she does in the dress shop yeah because to retaliate uh, because Aunt Adora is trying to pay attention to Camille and get her address, whereas Emma is like, you know, mama, mama, pay attention to me. And she's like, not now, dear. I'm talking to Camille. And then we see Emma stop, kind of like, you know, draw herself up and then mentions the article, which Adora absolutely does not want to hear anything about what Camille's been doing mm-hmm. in the town, which immediately makes Adora upset with Camille. Mm-hmm. And so yep. when uh, Camille- A lot of back and forth. Yeah, so when Camille goes to- to the changing room and hangs her clothes over the top of the door, we see either Amma or Adora take the clothes yeah, away. Like they I just disappear. I don't actually know mm-hmm. who did it. Yeah. And that's, I think, what is all the more poignant of like, it could have been, could have literally them. been either yeah. of them. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, because mm-hmm. both of them are nuts. Like, <laughs> yep. Which forced Camille to come out, not just in a, you know, a showy dress, but just in her underwear, essentially, and to be completely exposed. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that visceral reaction that Emma has. Like, she like has a weird blinking moment in Adora's face. Like, And it's kind of mentioned that 
Adora did not suspect that it had gotten, quote unquote, this bad. Yeah, she's like, oh, I didn't remember it being that bad. Mm-hmm. But in the book, she's she's fully aware yeah. of what that was like, and she did it anyway, mm-hmm. which either either scenario is, is not yes. okay. It's, it's bad either way. Yeah, it's like both of them are very manipulative. Uh, the fact that yeah. you didn't know the full extent is is not an excuse. You don't know your own daughter. No. Yeah, exactly. It's like you don't know what your daughter has been through because you didn't want to know or didn't care enough mm-hmm. to know. Either way, not great. Yeah. To give like a little sign of caring uh, in the show, Adora asks her, has it stopped? Like, are you done? And Camille says yes. Yeah. Like she's yeah. done hurting herself. Like the one like iota of motherly caring for fraction her. of a second like, yeah has it stopped are you done hurting yourself kind of thing and then immediately it says i can't believe you did this to me ammo is not supposed to see this how dare you show this to Emma? it's like what <laughs> yeah yeah how dare you traumatize your sister even though i deliberately did this yes, to you yes 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 <laughs> with Emma standing right mm-hmm. there <laughs> like, the worst oh. yeah and I then know. to talk about the real ivory floor Ugh. Yeah, yeah. It's a genuine ivy fl- ivory floor, uh, like made from elephant tusks. And they mentioned several mm-hmm. times you can't make this anymore because they're endangered. Like it's oh, yeah, too bad you can't have that anymore and murder hundreds. They're of all on your elephants. floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Adora considers this like a very precious thing. We kind of get a flashback of like a photographer having come to the house and Camille and Marion still alive uh, were there. And then uh, we are later shown a picture of the. F- a, photogra- a picture of the floor that the photographer had taken and, and in it is a couch with Adora and Marion sitting on it, but no Camille. Like even then- She's not allowed in the room. Yeah, even then she clearly- Like at all. Had a preference and it shows why Camille always suspected her mom never loved her, mm-hmm. even with the subtle things like that. And then later on when uh, Adora is allowing, is taking care of Camille and is essentially mothering and loving her, she brings Camille into that room. She lets her walk on the floor. Mm -hmm. Which I think is the first and only time you actually see her in that room. Mm -hmm. Because every other time she stands right outside the door and like kind of brushes her toes on it. Yeah, kind of like daring a little bit. And yeah, Yeah. and she won't go in. And it's that's the only time you really see her not only in the room, but invited in the room. Definitely. The only time she's allowed to have her mother's love is when she's dying. Mm-hmm. literally dying yeah yeah and and it's like that final shot where she thinks that she's gonna die she's you know she's out of the tub she's literally in a towel and nothing else so she's like her skin is completely exposed she is on her back and you see the shot of her like on her back just surrounded by ivory it's like it's a wild mm-hmm wild scene and then eventually you know the cop lights the blue and red lights are flashing in the background like it's such a wild scene that you just don't really get that kind of imagery in the book but you get all this other layering from the book in in that particular shot but man the show really really captured a pretty incredible scene out of that Mm -hmm. yeah and to talk about differences uh, also um the detective is a little bit different he seems to be better (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed Christmasina. Mm-hmm. His interpretation of that character, I kind of like. I already kind of have a, like a wee bit of a crush on him. He's real <laughs> cute and kind of dreamy, mm-hmm. so that helps. Well, he and but... Amy Adams have also worked together in the past on a uh, Julia and Julia yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. Like I really, I enjoy him as an actor, and I think he did a really good job of further humanizing that character. Mm-hmm. Um, I already liked him from the book version, but I think that he was more relatable more enjoyable and 
I, I think that I, I just I liked him more. Mm-hmm. I, I related to him more in the show. Yeah, because we kind of described him in the book as like, you know, his, his and Camille's transactions were more or less businesslike with him maybe getting emotionally attached before, you know, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. in the show, we show that uh, he is actually interested in her. He wants to find out more he about her, genuinely but he cares. does it in the way a detective does, which is he investigates her. <laughs> yeah. Um, which yeah. is like, you know, so that uh, fault is still there. A little skeezy, but, you know, we'll give a pass also, to see what you find what out. He knows. Yeah. Uh, it's what It is how he's been trained to think about things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. he visits the psych hospital where she stayed and he doesn't ask for her personal records or anything like that he just asks the doctor there you know what kind of people check themselves in here kind of to obliquely get a sense of her and the doctor says well we get all all types here but the ultimate conclusion is that they're not dangerous except to themselves whatever Mm -hmm. trauma or pain they went through they just take it out on themselves which is like camille to a t yeah yeah with yeah. all of her self-loathing, her alcoholism, um, her allowing her mom to poison yeah. her in the in the TV show, especially because uh, that because mm-hmm. this is a scene in the show we do not get this in the in the book at all. So he yeah. already understands that she's a cutter. Yeah, I don't know if he understood if she was like suicidal. Yeah, or I think that's... was self-harming. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. He just knows that she has done something to her body that is obviously not in her best interest yeah. and it's not for her health. He also finds out her roommate <laughs> committed suicide. So he yeah. knows the type of self-harm person mm-hmm. definitely can go that far. Yeah. And when uh, he finds out about her and John, you know, the look on his face is like, you know, very upset. <laughs> oh, he, yeah, he is, I think, a lot more aggressively emotional mm-hmm. in his response in the show, oh, yeah. which, I mean, Understandable. Can you blame Not him? forgiven, but understandable. Yeah. Like he tells her no. that, I think the quote is, uh, I didn't write these ones down, one shitty thing in your life is not an excuse for you to do these things to yourself essentially it's no excuse yeah and it's like uh but you don't understand man it's not just like a bad thing. yeah yeah i mean he obviously was lashing out He's because he was upset out, but... but he doesn't know the full scope mm-hmm. obviously because she won't let him in yeah so of course he doesn't know but even after that he's still concerned about her and he goes back to the house to find out where she is and that's when he kind of like discovers right. something super shady is going on here and like brings the cavalry right. to save her uh, and in the end because he knows about her he doesn't do the thing in the book of like you're a cutter and quote unquote never speaks to her again he visits her in the hospital mm-hmm. afterwards and kind of they have a, a, a goodbye he apologizes yes yeah. he apologizes yeah. and they have a goodbye they have a genuine ending whereas they don't really in the book mm-hmm. and i like that I, it, it made me feel better about him yeah as a character agreed i they definitely did a really nice job of being able to show a side of him that was oh yeah he's a cop but he also really does have some sort of feelings for her and he does really genuinely like he worries about her well-being especially at the end Mm -hmm. yeah it's i i really did enjoy the way that they depicted that character Mm -hmm. yeah and uh (sighs) also in like you know the little moments throughout the town because we see how the town interacts with him and how much just trouble he has being an out-of-towner trying to solve a case yeah (laughs) they hate him they don't want him there even if he is there to solve a crime they don't want him there Mm mm-hmm yeah, they just call him Big City and they mm-hmm. just mock him the whole time. Yeah, big City, Kansas City, Kansas, Dick. <laughs> yeah, a slew of mm-hmm. things. Yep. Yeah, and we just see how hard of a time he has, which makes us sympathize with him more and also forgive his transactions yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and his relationship with the sheriff too. Mm-hmm. Like the sheriff is, 
you know, very stuck in his ways. Very small town sheriff. Very small town sheriff, right? Like he's like, oh, well, obviously it was a drifter. Or a Mexican. Or, you know, it was some. Or a Mexican. Yeah. Great. Right. Because, you know, his... that's rational. Yep. And then the detectives come back of like, well, any particular drifter or Mexican you had in mind? <laughs> yeah, right. How vague do you want to go mm-hmm. with this? And also super, super stereotypical white person poking at anybody who's not from there because it couldn't possibly be a local. Couldn't possibly, no. He's trying to, like, explain, like, a lot of stuff like this tends to be people that know each other Mm -hmm. because that's how they get into the same, like, you know, sphere and how they know each other is kind of, you know, like, people are stalking each other or they know each other and there's some sort of gripe between the two of them. Like, this is is not unusual. And they're like, no, 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 it couldn't possibly be that. Like, go back to big city and and deal with your big city problems over there. And it's like, dude, come on. This kind of thing doesn't happen in small towns. Mm -hmm. What is this, Pleasantville? Get Get out of here. here. Like, it's... Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. That whole dynamic is just like I just wanted to smack that sheriff mm-hmm. every time, but he does kind of come around at the very end. Yeah. He he shows end. that he's genuinely a cop. He will, if nothing else, he will follow procedure and follow the leads mm-hmm. where they go. It's just a matter of looking for the leads, right? Yeah, uh, and right. you kind of get the sense that you know, oh, he's so close to Adora. Maybe he's you know blinded by that. He can't really see or suspect her of anything until oh totally until at the end when um the detective is able to provide him with proof and you know camille's boss came all the way down to like you know bang on their door and get them to help her kind of thing yeah and uh yeah and to talk about curry a little bit i mean he's barely in the book at all except to like you know say you go down there and do this and if you need help you let me do know more. And i'll help you but do <laughs> yeah. more kind of thing i loved him in the, in show. the show yes he's definitely seen more as like a genuine father figure to her and that mm-hmm. he seems to know it like he he's doing his job thing of like you know pushing for the story get it get it get it but whenever he senses that she has resistance he stops and is like are you okay Just are you okay say the word yeah. and you can come home and he, there's even points where he's like he realizes she's gone too deep he's like come home come home now get the first ticket and come mm-hmm. home i'll expense it i'll cover it do what you gotta do Right, and she says, "No, I gotta do this." And he's given a little bit of motivation for it. Um, it's kind of hinted he has cancer or something wrong with him, or some sort of dialysis yeah. that he's going. And through. his yeah. wife, um, he's like going around the house, puttering about fixing the house, and he, he, she tells him, "You can't fix her like another thing in this house." So he seems to have mm-hmm. a motivation to fix Camille by forcing her to go home and, f- and face her home kind of thing without fully realizing the scope of it all. What that means. Yeah. yeah. So like meddling, but well-intentioned meddling. Yeah. Yeah, he means well, and he's a really sweet character. And I really, really like how they showed him in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely gave him a lot more personality. And he is a really warm and caring character and is really, I think, the only person who not only cares for her genuinely cares for her but also understands where she's coming from as far as like he knows that she has done a lot of self-harm he knows that she's got substance abuse he knows that she comes from a really dysfunctional family but not fully to the extent with the whole yeah family thing Mm -hmm. but he really does know her like nobody else does and i i love how they depicted him Mm -hmm. It's a really, really nice, solid character. And it's like a nice kind of stabilizer for her chaotic life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And towards the end, uh, like he's reading her final article on it. And, you know, uh, he kind of finishes it. And he's just sitting there and she's like, well, what do you think? He's like, can I just sit here for a moment and feel feelings? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I just process this for a mm-hmm. second? <laughs> 
Yeah. Because it, it's heavy. Yeah. And it's like normal people should not have to deal with this. I mean, no one should have to deal with this. And it's like it's a lot to process. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of trauma to have to wade through. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Holy moly. Yeah. Well, to kind of touch on the more uh, practical one, both the book and the show mention early on how the killer has to be a man. It has to be a man. Women don't kill this way. It's stated as an mm -hmm. utter fact. Um, they even describe in the book that uh, you can count the number of female serial killers on one hand, which is incredibly untrue. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Camille in the yeah. book seems to think that um, female serial killers tend to go after men in a sexual scenario gone wrong. It's like, that's not... That's maybe true of like mm -hmm. female killers as a general thing of like mm -hmm. women who kill men, but not female serial killers, ones who purposefully go out with an intent to kill. Those are not, that's like saying they've set themselves up for a sexual scenario to go wrong and kill them kind of thing, or that all right. female different, serial killers category. are serial killers by accident out of their control sort of thing. Kind of like right. how Eileen Warnos tried to paint herself to be the most famous female serial killer in America of like, she said, Oliver. Uh, victims tried to rape her and that's why she killed them kind of thing which may mm -hmm. have been true for like maybe the first or the second but once you get to like number six there there's a point right. where yeah. that's not true anymore yeah, we're past that yeah but in real life female serial killers tend to go after those closest to them and those who are physically weaker than them so they tend to go after mm -hmm. husbands the elderly and children, children and their main motivations yeah. tend uh, their main uh, methods of killing tend to be poison a la adora or strangulation um, or suffocation of some sort which is ama which is ama yeah so it's like women definitely kill this way what are you talking about mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's like a flaw in the characters or a flaw in like the author's own knowledge of of true crime thing because there are yeah, a lot more than on one question. hand, <laughs> and uh, there are definitely women who kill that way. I would say the only part of that statement that fits is like the teeth thing. Women don't generally tend to take trophies. Yeah, that could just be yeah. A, that's kind of a weird yeah. layer. That's the only bit that I would agree with. Of women don't typically tend to kill that way. Women typically tend to kill like their families just because they that's the closest victims they have or right. they kill for money like black widows or the ones who run nursing homes and insurance scams and uh social security scams mm -hmm. like angels of death and stuff mm -hmm. yeah or and angels of death yeah, yeah. Like that's which is also kind of munchausen by proxy a little bit but it's just a bit yeah. more spread similar out. but in the medical practice mm -hmm. yeah yep yeah it's uh, yeah i i wonder like the way i kind of interpreted the rationale of oh well women don't kill this way it, i think in my mind, it was because it's like small town mentality and they're like, oh, there's no way a woman could have done this. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my interpretation. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it was also kind of from the perspective that the author had not done research to kind of flesh that mm -hmm. idea out more. Yeah, because the book I'm is totally sure. through Camille's point of view. So it could just been her interpretation of it. Um, and the book would mm -hmm. seem to counteract that because it seems that Richard, uh, the detective, has suspected Adora for quite a bit mm -hmm. and for quite a while. Whereas in the show, it's not just Camille. It's a lot of people who say women don't kill this way. And uh, part of the detective's um, reasoning for it is that to kind of figure out how hard it is to pull teeth, he got a pig's head and tried to pull teeth from it yeah. to see how hard it was. Mm -hmm. 
That's intense. Yeah, when he said, yeah, it takes a lot of strength. Yeah, you got to be a man to do that. It's like, mm-hmm. when you got like a lot of, a few determined teenagers <laughs> uh, pulling well, out that baby was the thing teeth. Is they were thinking, yeah. yeah, they were thinking it was one person. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, at the end you find out, oh shit, it was four people. Yeah. Four children, but still four individuals that could, you know, take turns. And also you get adrenaline rush factor mm-hmm. in there and plus baby teeth also amma seems plus baby teeth are not as rooted mm-hmm. and there's a lot of factors in that and also amma i think you know she's kind of her own <laughs> breed of crazy on top of having kind of the mob mentality that she kind of instigated with her friends mm-hmm. so there's a lot of elements that they were not even considering for you know obvious reasons because who would think four 13 year old girls would be capable of something like that yeah no um, totally Nobody would think that. (laughs) Totally unable to think of it. For obvious reasons. And you were talking to me when I was watching the show for the first time. Oh, who do you think did it? And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. they're trying to hint that it's to these two guys, like the dad and the brother um, who did it. But Mm -hmm. I totally think it's Adora. I totally think Adora did it. And then at the end, it's like, you know, totally Adora. Maybe Emma, but totally Adora. (laughs) And then it was like, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, look, there's the poison. They got her. It's all good. They're living out their life happily. And it's Emma. Except it's not. Yep. Twist. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yet again, you know, Gillian Flynn, hats off to you because she is like queen of the crazy twists at the mm-hmm. end. Gone Girl's the exact same way. You were like, what just happened? What a twist. Um, yeah. All the twists. And yeah, it's because the show did a really very clever way of like each episode. You're like, ooh, I think it was this person. And then the next episode, you're like, oh, shit, maybe it's this person. Mm-hmm. And they do that for every single episode. But the closer you get to the end, you're like, oh, it's totally Adora. Yeah. Because you see all that shady shit going on in the background. You're like, there's no way it's not Adora. But then, oh, twist. It's Adora and Amma because I think Adora was totally covering it up for Amma. Like, I think I think she knew what Amma was doing and was took the blame for her. I think she may purpose. have suspected, at least in the show, just given how she interacts with the sheriff with things and mm-hmm. also uh, with the whole, um, they find the bike of one of the girls in like, you know, one of the mud pits at the farm uh, on a yeah. property. I think what might have happened is when that was found, she forced one of her workers to say that he saw John Keane putting it there. Because I don't think Amma would have had that kind of pull. Because they mentioned that uh, a worker who said that made a terrible witness because he's on night shifts. How is is it he could have seen that happen during the day if he's Mm -hmm. on night shifts? And they mentioned how he's a terrible witness. I was like, I don't think Amma would have the kind of pull to order her mom's workers around. That, yeah, it would be Adora to do that. So... Yeah, and in the show, I noticed like scattered throughout the whole thing is like whenever somebody would ask, oh, how's Amma? Adora's response, she would go, Amma? And like look shocked. She's like, she, she's fine. What? Why would you ask? Mm-hmm. Like she she just like is really twitchy around when people ask specifically about Amma. Yep. So I think that she was like waiting for someone to catch on. And that's kind of like the the vibe that I got that she totally knew or really suspected mm-hmm. and was was covering yeah. it. And both the book and the show, she seemed really excited that John Keane was like the number one suspect for the murders. Oh, yeah. Real gung-ho about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like almost yeah. disgustingly so in the book and a little more subtle in the show. But yeah, totally on board. The John Keane did it train. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. A older teenage guy 
who has a lot of pent up anxiety and anger. Totally did totally it. Did yeah, it. yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's whew, the whole thing is. Oh my god, Julie, it's so good and so bad. It's it's awful. Well, it's awesome and awful all at the same time. It's awful. To kind of talk about John Keane a little bit, he's like the representation of a uh, toxic masculinity. Masculinity. That's in small towns mm-hmm. because the whole reason he's suspected is that he seems a little, he's quote unquote, too, too torn up about his sister's death. And it's mm-hmm. like, what? What? What is too he's torn too up close about to his, sister. his sister's death? It's like, it's his little sister. He's like 18, 19. Why wouldn't he? And she was murdered in a horrible way. Horribly graphic And in way. the show, yeah. he's like among the, one of the few first people who find his sister's body it's like yeah he sees her in the alley why wouldn't he be upset and everyone's excuse is like you know boys don't act that way boys don't act that way it's just he must have been stoic enough he must have been too close to his sister if you know what i mean yeah yeah (laughs) i know right then they talk about how he was like doing it with his sister Mm -hmm. i'm like what is wrong with you people like he lost his sister and also he seemed to be close with her Mm -hmm. not too close with her like he was close with her because it was his sister like they talk about how she invented a language and taught him how to like say it in like say her new language and they were like really close Mm -hmm. and it's so messed up that they're like oh yeah he's way too choked up about it like he's hiding something because he's trying to like sell it too much and he says how uh someone gave him a book on how men grieve kind of thing and the book said denial is like you know works best for men he says i tried it for about an hour and it didn't work shut it out yeah and it's like what a horrible book yeah yeah just shut everything out that's the healthiest option and his parents gave that to him. Yeah. I think wasn't his mom that gave him that I th- book? And I think like, in the oh, show, God. yeah, he said it was his mom in the book. I'm not sure. But yeah, no, it's awful. And in the book, he's mentioned as having long hair and kind of an androgynous look. And in the show, everyone's Very kind beautiful. of commenting on how they think he's gay. And because he's gay, he was obviously after his little child sister because, you know, gays are pedophiles, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, <sighs> obviously. Uh, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it was like just all this thing because he does not conform in one way or another to this town's expectations of what a man is. Therefore, he is the killer. Like in the show, they kind of tie him with the dad of the first girl as being possible suspects. In the book, I don't think Bob Nash was mentioned at all as a suspect. I think it was all John Keane. No, no. It was, it was either like a drifter, a Mexican, or John yeah. Keane. <laughs> the outsiders, essentially. You know, like he is the most you know, recent the uh, person to come live in town because his family only moved there two years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he has no ties to the, the town like everybody mm-hmm. else does. So he's obviously shady. Yeah. Yeah, which is like that. That's like the whole theme of of the book and the show is just, just like small town mentality, and it's amazing what people can get away with mm-hmm. because of how people think in a small community like that, and just like how people take away certain situations or how they respond to certain people, and it's it, mm-hmm. it's just so claustrophobic. Yeah, and then of course with the toxic masculinity comes, of course. The misogyny, both internalized and externalized. Yeah. Like uh, we talked about Camille and how she feels about herself. And like I said, the Old Testament spitefulness Mm -hmm. of the phrase got what she deserved. Mm -hmm. But also um, the nurse, the the nurse who suspects that Adora was poisoning Marianne. She says when she brought up Mm -hmm. her concerns, 
that she kind of got shuffled away. So it's not her place. Hysterical. Yeah, it's not her place to mention it in the book. She was. She said, "I was one of those hysterical women for bringing mm-hmm. up the possibility, yeah, the very the right possibility, yeah. that a mother was killing her child." Because women don't yeah, do and that. And it wasn't just her. It was multiple nurses who didn't want to have their names on a letter but wanted to step forward saying that they had suspicions. Mm-hmm. And then the doctors were like, oh, you're just being hysterical. You don't know what you're talking about. No mother would do that to their child. Mm-hmm. And then Marion dies. Yeah. And then she she said she got drunk for three days mm-hmm. and then came back and asked, are you going to look into this? And they said, you should just take the rest of the week off. Yeah. And they just totally blow her mm-hmm. off. And transfer her to different units. And transfer her to a different unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As you yep. do. Yay. Yay. And then uh Love yeah. it. And then like uh Camille in both the book and the show is hanging out with some of her old high school friends who are all married and oh, all have children. I was just gonna bring that Yeah, up. do you wanna bring oh, up the quote that, that I'm scene. sure you've heard a lot, Erin? <laughs> uh well, I, I, I'll, I'll try to paraphrase because I don't have it written yeah. down. But yeah, it's like all the friends are talking about how, well, they all like are all drinking wine. So they're all shwasty. And then they start having a sob fest about like, oh, my husband doesn't want to have any more kids. He says three's enough. But four I is want enough. Five. I just, <laughs> oh, yeah. Four is enough. I just want another. I just want a little boy. And then the other gal's like, oh, I just want a little girl. I've got all boys. And, and then it's and then they go on this whole like tangent of like, oh, all these feminists telling you that you you can't be a mother and be successful. But I don't think you can be a woman until you've had a child inside of mm-hmm. you. And I just don't think that you can connect when children die on the same level as mothers can. And it's like this whole thing. I'm like, oh, my yep. God. Like, ugh, I can't. That every time I hear or, or read that scene, I just get so ragey. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the book's full quote is, it seems like a part of your heart can never work if you don't have kids, like it will always be shut mm. off, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm, demonstrably mm-hmm. not true in this book. <laughs> oh my God. It's so horribly inaccurate and so freaking narrow-minded. Yes. And I, ugh, yeah, Mm. I, that phrase of like you can't be a full woman or you haven't reached true womanhood until you've had a baby. And I'm like, that is horrible yeah. and so insensitive to people who want children and can't have it mm-hmm. and people who don't want children and decide not to. Like, <laughs> But you can never be a full woman, Erin. <laughs> and then they don't yeah. get, keep uh, it even further with it. like, you know, cesarean sections versus live births and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all part mm-hmm. of like, and this is part of the of the, what we're talking about. I promise the mythos of motherhood. Like it's this mm-hmm. grand calling that anyone who is a part of it is a wonderful person. So of course, no mother would poison her child. Of mm-hmm. course, no woman would torment her child or be unable to love her children. It's like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of yep. what allows Adora to get away with what she has for so long because of that mythos of yep. motherhood. She couldn't possibly do these things. And, you know, mm-hmm. the moms say that and they say it in both the movie, the, not the movie, the show and the book. But all the moms are horrible people. All those mom friends. Oh, my God. They're, yeah. they're terrible. Like they're seen as being like, yeah. you know. Uh, super gossipy and snippy and as soon as one of them's alone with Camille they talk bad about the rest of the friends and I'm sure when they're alone they talk bad about Camille and in the show since we see more characters we see that John Keane isn't getting uh, you know any kind of attention from his mom she's boozed out uh, 
with regards totally to Natalie. Yeah, which is understandable, yeah. but at the same time, you know, he wants he his mom wants too. Um, and Bob right. Nash, the father of the first girl in the book, the wife's still there in the show. She's not. And he kind of has a breakdown mm-hmm. moment with Camille where he says, what kind of mother does that? What kind of mother abandons her children? Just abandons Because they have yeah. three more children in the house and he's there taking care of them by himself. And the mother has, mm-hmm. a, has more or less abandoned them. And that's not quote unquote, what mothers are supposed to do. It's, it's, it does yeah. not compute. And he's just like, why, why does she do this? They don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, <sighs> Yeah, and I mean, and I, I can't, I can't handle yeah. it. And then also like Adora, Adora's relation, like dysfunctional relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. which then perpetuated her relationship with Camille and her daughters. And it's like Camille saying, or not Camille, uh, Adora saying like, oh, I thought that having a baby would then make me better. Yeah. It would make my life have meaning. But then I just now resent my my child, mm-hmm. and it's like it's so messed up. It's so messed up. Yeah, that's what happens when you have a child. <laughs> for a purpose other than having a child. <laughs> like if mm-hmm. you have a child, the intent right. of making you a better or complete person or to mm-hmm. fulfill some sort of a d- agenda, you're not going to mm-hmm. get that. You're just going to end up miserable and you're going to make everyone else miserable, especially that child. Yeah. 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 And they comment too that um, Joya, the the grandmother, some I can't remember if it's Alan or the friend of Adora who comments that Joya just hated seeing that Adora had something that she couldn't have and so she resented Adora for that mm-hmm. but then Adora also resented Camille because she didn't do what she expected her to do as her baby and she just wanted her to do exactly what she wanted her to do yeah. and it's just like oh even, my god where does it end even as it ended <laughs> it was all Camille's fault because she didn't want to nurse from Adora yeah. it was all how dare you be fault. a baby yeah. all you do was cry it's all you do. You would just cry and you wouldn't eat when you were supposed to. I'm like, that's what, that's babies, what babies do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they all do mm-hmm. this. It's not just you. Yeah. She's like, you were such a spiteful baby. I'm like, she was a baby. They can't What's be wrong with you? spiteful. It's, they're no, incapable they just, of it. It's, it's a miracle if they just exist. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with mm-hmm. you? <laughs> yeah. And, and it was said that uh, yeah. when Camille refused to nurse from Adora, that that was like the one time that Joya smiled, like seeing her fail as a mother brought her joy. Mm-hmm. And it's just another reason, yeah. another example of how, no, you are not a complete, better or even good person just because you have a child. Yes. Just because you are a mother does not make you any better yeah. or any more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, mess. Yeah. The whole thing nope. is messed up. <laughs> Moral of the story, this is a messed up story. Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, yes, very much so. Oh my god. All right. Well, we could keep yes, talking about could. this for way too long, but I think we've uh we've burdened our listeners enough mm-hmm. <laughs> with our rants. So I think we will bring it to a close. Any final final thoughts? Final we final thoughts. Up? Hmm. Uh, I would say that if you are looking more for a complete picture with more rounded characters, definitely watch the show. It's only eight episodes. You can get through it in a weekend. If you're looking more for just like a deep dive into like what the psyche of a self-loathing person looks like, probably read more of the book. Mm -hmm. That's my final take. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think that if you really are into very stylized cinematography 
and just kind of production, the show is a really, really good little highlight of really nice work. I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. I think that was probably my favorite part about the show is just the style. On top of the story being very captivating mm-hmm. and very messed up. Very Southern Gothic. Very Southern Gothic. Yeah, for sure. All right, Miss Julie. Yes. yes. Oh, we did Woo-hoo! it. We did it. We survived. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show with me. This has been such a treat. Always, always. Even though it's been heavy as hell. Before we sign off, mm-hmm. what are you reading right now? What are you doing right now? Something you want to highlight? Ooh, reading right now. Um, I am reading a book called The Affair of Poisons, which is, Ooh. yeah, um, a historical account, uh, so a nonfiction book of the, a um, Times version of the Salem Witch Trials. There was like a bunch of conspiracy Ooh. about poison and Satanism and child murder and all throughout like King Louis, the I think the 14th court. I just started it. Oh, okay. And no, yeah, it's really good. Very interesting read uh, just to kind of see like what where fear and hysteria and just like in an early version of satanic panic will get you kind of related to this era's modern satanic yeah. panic with QAnon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So really light, happy reading. You know me, Erin. I'm the light, <laughs> happy friend. <laughs> Yes, super light. Mm-hmm. Keep it light. Keep it. That's light. why you keep having All me right. on the show. Uh, obviously, who else am I going to have my ridiculously crazy heavy rants I know. with? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, that sounds super fascinating. I'll have to check that out. I haven't read a nonfiction book, and I don't even know how long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll have to check that yes. out. Awesome. Well, thanks for the recommendation. And again, thank you so much for being on the show yet again with me. I always love having you on. It's been a treat. Always, always. You know me. I love a good rant. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for sticking it out with us. And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh. Music, 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 and the end. Music, 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 and the end.